All right. Well, let's get into Luke. So hopefully you've opened that Bible, you've found Luke, chapters 1 and 2. Um, we've, we're calling this sermon series Follow. It, obviously, we're talking about following Jesus. Uh, the theme verse for this series, Luke 9.23, where Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And we said last week that he's using this image of crucifixion to talk about the essence of discipleship. And so one of the things he's communicating is that when we become followers of Jesus, we give up our self-determination. Yeah, that's what I said. We give up our self-determination. I mean, in our, in our modern world, that, that is just like nails on a chalkboard. Well, we don't use chalkboards anymore. Anyway, but, but it, it's hard to hear, right? And so we're saying, Jesus, you now determine my life. I follow you. I take up my cross. I die daily to follow you no matter what. No matter what you initiate with me, I am going to say yes to what you ask me to do. And this is an incredibly serious step to take. Maybe you've been in some settings where it's like, you know, super emotional, come down front, pray a prayer, just, just trying to get you to, to, to say a prayer to Jesus and, and, you know, kind of make a contract with Him. And, and oftentimes we're not really told, but what does it mean to actually follow Him? And it is a serious step. And it's, it's worthy to, to count the cost. And Jesus tells us to do this, to consider what, what am I really giving up? when I decide to follow Jesus, because not everyone thinks that Jesus is worth this kind of following. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay quarterback, a couple weeks ago, uh, who actually grew up in a Christian family. He went to Young Life growing up as a teenager. He's giving an interview for a podcast, and they ask him about his faith or lack of faith, and he comments about Christianity, and he says this, I don't think it's very welcoming. Religion can be a crutch. It can be something that people have, have to have to make themselves feel better. And because it's sort of binary, it's us and them, it's saved and unsaved, it's heaven and hell, it's enlightened and heathen, it's holy and righteous, it's sinner and filthy, I think that makes a lot of people feel better about themselves. They say, oh, I've got Jesus, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven, and there's only 144,000 of us going, even though there's 7 billion people on the planet. I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell like what type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all of this. Aaron Rodgers. He's no theologian, I'll say that. But he is expressing what many in especially the U.S. feel about historical Christianity, that any exclusive claims about religion are not to be tolerated, which is an exclusive claim, by the way, which is ironic, but when we don't allow for certainty, when we don't allow for exclusive claims, we have completely dismissed the historical Christian faith. And this is what a lot of our country, at least in America, feels about the Christian faith. And so they would be completely dismissing ideas about human beings being sinners and needing Jesus to save them from their sin and that Jesus is worthy to be submitted to and followed, like I just said a few minutes ago. Many would like to leave Jesus in the self-help category. 
You know, when you're listening to kind of a motivational speaker or a self-help lecturer or reading a book that's self-help, you take what you like and you leave behind what you don't like. You don't feel compelled to have to buy into everything that this person is selling. And many would like to put Jesus in that kind of category. Take what you like, leave what you don't. That part about hell or judgment or end times or sexuality, leave that behind. But just take the stuff that you like. That kind of thinking certainly does not jive with the Jesus of the Bible. Not at all. And so we talked about last week, the first reason why you should take Jesus seriously is because of the Bible. It's because of the Bible, what the Bible says about Jesus. So if you don't think the Bible is a reliable source, it's game over. I wouldn't bother with Jesus. If you don't think the Bible is a reliable source, that's an authoritative source from God, I wouldn't even deal with Jesus. I wouldn't even mess with him. Because how do you know anything about Jesus? Uh, the Bible. And if you don't think it's a reliable source, an authoritative source, it's no longer any help to you. So most so-called Christians that are trying to fit Jesus into the current cultural mode of ideas, they're d dismissing the Bible. They're dismissing the Bible. And so last week, we look at Luke's comments regarding his writing, and he's saying things like, hey, I'm a contemporary of eyewitnesses to Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He's saying things like, I am being very careful in the way that I'm assembling this account. He's saying things like, I am writing these things so you can have certainty of the things that you have been taught. And what I argued last week, and I want to kind of give a little short argument for, is that we should take Luke much more seriously than Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's a great quarterback. He's great at throwing a small leather ball across a green field. Awesome. But he's no theologian. Right? He, he does not understand the Bible, where it came from, why you should trust it. Nor should we t take more seriously uh, your religion professor who's seeking to take a shot at the Bible every chance they get. We need to take most seriously the primary source. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the primary sources to understand who Jesus is and what he wants from us. So this is why we're digging in to Luke. Because we believe this to be a primary source, and this is where we can find out who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus. So what's in this orderly account that Luke is giving us? Well, he starts off with birth stories. Birth stories of two different people, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus. I'm not going to say too much about John the Baptist, um, but he was a big deal in the first century. And a lot of people in Judea, uh, in Galilee, like they all were going out to hear John the Baptist. And he wasn't doing anything except preaching one sermon, repent! And thousands of people were going out to him. And so every gospel writer mentions John the Baptist. And I think for those original hearers, he was like, you know, like a, a really good reference letter for a job interview, right? It's like, I have this reference letter from my CEO. I have this reference letter from my professor, right? And, and so as the gospel writers are, are writing the story of Jesus, they're saying, we have a reference letter from John the Baptist. And people are going, whoa, that's impressive, right? Now that's lost on us. 
We're like, this is a weird guy, eats bugs, you know, he's out in the desert. This is not, this is not that big a deal to us, right? So I'm not going to spend too much time on it, uh, as in I'm done with John the Baptist. Okay. What we're going to look at this morning is the birth story of Jesus. And what we see Luke doing in this, the events leading up to Jesus' birth and including his birth, is that he's authenticating Jesus by drawing attention to the supernatural. He's authenticating this identity of Jesus with, by drawing attention to the supernatural. And the supernatural that he's talking about are the miraculous conception of Jesus and angels and what these angels say. And they're, they're kind of intertwined, all right? And so when angels show up in the Bible, they are sometimes showing up for protection. They're sometimes showing up to deliver judgment. Uh, but oftentimes they show, they show up to deliver a message. And this is their, their, their job in this uh, portion of Luke. So God usually uses prophets, John the Baptist. He uses John the Baptist. He uses Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, all these different people that he speaks through. But sometimes there's a message that needs supernatural authentication, and he can send an angel to deliver that message in order to authenticate it. And this is what we have here. So this is really the, the second reason uh, in Luke, that you should follow Jesus, is this supernatural authentication of the person of Jesus. So what, what are we finding out from these angels? Um, what are they authenticating by showing up? Five things. So five things. Here's where the, the sermon's headed. So number one, uh, that Jesus' conception is miraculous. This is, this is one of the things that the angels are are telling us. Number two, that Jesus is the messianic king that Israel's been waiting for. Number three, that Jesus is Savior. Number four, Jesus is God. And number five, Jesus' birth is glory for God and cause for praise. Right? So Jesus' conception is miraculous. Jesus is the messianic king. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is God. Jesus' birth is cause for praise because it's so glorious. So let's look at each one of these real quickly. So Jesus' conception is miraculous. So the angel appears to Mary and says this, or Mary says this because uh, she has this question about her impending pregnancy since she's never had sex. And she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. No one's ever been conceived this way except Jesus. This is an incredibly unique conception. And it is a miraculous, supernatural authentication of who He is. And the angel even couples this idea of this miraculous conception by call, then calling Him uh, Holy and the Son of God, which we'll get back to here in a minute. This is the first sign that points to the identity of Jesus. It also sets him up for being able to die a substitutionary death for sinners. Sinners can't die for sinners. And so if sin is passed on from one generation to the other through the normal means of bringing babies into the world, then he has to come into this world through an extraordinary means. And this is what we have here. 
an extraordinary way in which Jesus is brought into the world. Is he a human? Absolutely. A human nature has been joined with his divine nature. Do we know all about how that works? Not exactly, no. But we know that he is, is fully human, he is fully God, and he's been brought into this world through an extraordinary means, a, a miracle that both authenticates him but also sets him up to be able to die for sinners. So this one who's had this in, incredible uh, conception, uh, who is he? Right? And so the angels are, are letting us know uh, who he is. So he's the messianic king that's been waited for by the, by the Israelites. Luke is telling us that, and then the angel tells us that. Um, Luke says this when he's, he's, ta he's talking about Mary. Luke 1.27, the virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. There's the house of David, right? He's pointing to this kingly line that, that's been unbroken. Uh, then uh, Luke describes why Joseph takes Mary to Bethlehem, Luke 2.4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and lineage of David. There's Luke doing it again. I, I think sometimes we read over that, we're like, boring, names, places, ugh, let's just get to the good part, right? But when you start to look at the thread, look at what Luke's doing. He's being careful and orderly. He, he's letting you know multiple times that, that this child is in the line of David. And then the angel in Luke 1.32 is kind of the slam dunk of this. Luke 1.32 says, The Lord God, this is the, uh, the, the angel speaking, will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be there will be no end. And so here Luke, the writer, is drawing attention to the lineage of Jesus. And then he's saying, look what the angel says about Jesus, that God is going to give this baby the throne of David, and he is going to reign over God's people forever. And he's not just talking about an unbroken line of heredity. He's saying he's going to be the king. That once he's established as the king, he will never not be the king over Israel. So this one who's been miraculously conceived is the messianic king. Number three, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Savior. As the angel's talking to Mary in Luke 1, 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So the angel gives her the name. Wouldn't that be easy, you parents that have tried to name babies? You know, God just sent an angel to say, just, just name this kid Bill. Like, just, and you're like, sweet. I don't have to fight with my spouse over it. We, you know, it's, we got it. Uh, but this, one's, this is a special name, right? Jesus means the Lord saves or Yahweh saves. In, in uh, Hebrew, it's Yeshua, Yahweh saves. Uh, it it would have been a common name. There would have been other Jesuses in his first grade class, probably. But it's, it, it has meaning, but it's probably good that it was common because what if he's in first grade and they're like, what's your name? And he's like, Messiah. <laughs> that, that would not have been good, right? So it's like, name him Jesus, which has very important meaning that he is a savior, but it's also common enough to where he won't draw too much attention to himself until the time is right. So this one who's been miraculously conceived, he is 
the Messiah, the Messianic King. He is the Savior. Number four, He is God. We hear in Luke 1, 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This sounds pretty divine, right? He's going to be called great. He's going to be called the Son of God. And and then we see this reaffirmed in chapter 2 in this big moment where the angels get the opportunity to uh, introduce Jesus to the shepherds. I feel like introductions are a big deal. I just experienced one in the back here. Um, And if you're really good at it, you figure out a way to connect the people that you're introducing. So one is their name, right? Like, oh, here's my friend, so-and-so. And And you you tell the names, and then if they, maybe they go to the same school. You're like, hey, this, this, my friend goes to Amherst, you do too. Or you're both econ majors, or you both work in Amherst downtown, or you know of the spouse, you haven't met this spouse yet. All, All kinds of ways. And if you're good at this, this is what you do. You try to figure out, like, how do I get these people to realize that there's value in the other person, such that they want to connect. And this is what the angel's job is with these shepherds. You've got these burly shepherds out there with their, you know, their sheep, and it's the middle of the night. How am I going to introduce Jesus to these shepherds such that they want to drop everything and go meet this new baby, right? And, and, and so we, we see what the angel says in the introduction to the shepherds. Luke 2, 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see the angel using all three of these uh, names and, and ideas around who Jesus is, that He is a Savior, that He is the Christ. Uh, the Christ, this is the, the, the Greek word for the Messiah. So He's saying you, He's the Savior. He is the Messiah. And then He says, He is the Lord. And then He says, He's, he's born unto you. The, 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 the Savior, Christ, the Lord, is born unto you. This is not just FYI information. This one is for you, right? And he introduces Jesus in this way. And so, again, affirming what's been said already by, by the angel to Mary, now being said to the shepherds that he is Savior, that he is King, that he, uh, that, that, that he is God, and then we see the proper response to this one who is Savior and King and God. And I love this moment in the narrative because you have this one angel appearing to the shepherds and kind of doing the introductions, but then you have a whole multitude, right? Now, how many is that? It's too many to count. That's usually when the Bible's saying multitude, it's like, I don't know, it's a whole bunch, right? They're like waiting backstage, and they're waiting for the cue. And so you got this one angel that's doing the introduction. And they're all waiting. And after they do the introduction, here's what they said. Uh, oh, Luke 2.13. Suddenly, there was the angel, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. They're they're saying this is the proper response to this one who's just been born. Praise. And why should you praise? Because this is the most glorious glimpse that human beings have ever gotten of who God is. 
And when you see glory, you praise. <laughs> you can't help it. I mean, we know that even in, in just uh, the, the world, right? It's been interesting to see uh, so many grieving over the death of Kobe Bryant. And partly because there's so much about him that is, is glorious. The way he played basketball, the way he was a father, the empire that he built, all these things that people value and they, they see it and they see it as glorious and they praise those things. But I think it's, it's so difficult for many that now that glory just snuffed out in one accident, right? And here, these angels are saying, while yes, there are, are glorious things in the horizontal, there is something glorious that has just come down from heaven. <laughs> and it is Savior. He is King. He is God. And we need coaching <laughs> for how to appropriately respond. It, it, it reminds me of, of trying to help a kid appropriately respond to an adult. Right? You, you've got you know, like an eight-year-old, you're trying to explain to them, here's how you talk to adults when you meet them. You look them in the eye, you say hello, you tell them their na your name. But sometimes it's, it's hard to get them to do this. Uh, partly because they don't really value the adult. Okay, let's just be honest. <laughs> They're like, boring adult, there's my friend, right? And they see their friend and they run over there and they hug them and they're like, yeah, high-fiving. But then the adult's like, uh, uh, right? Well, sometimes th th this is the way we view God, right? We, we, we don't see Him as worthy. And at this point in Jesus' revelation, He's just a little baby. He's just, he's just wrapped in swaddling cloths and He's, you know, pooping His diaper. And, and, and so they, they don't understand how glorious this kid is. And so they need some help in understanding what you do. And this is what these angels do. They declare, this is the most glorious thing God's ever done. Coming down from heaven, becoming a human being. But they also know what this human being is going to do. This one who is the divine son of God is going to die for sinners. He is going to be a savior. Not just from the Roman Empire or poverty or, or things in the horizontal, but he's going to save them from sin. And this is the most glorious thing that God has ever done. And so while these shepherds don't understand, even when the angel explains this, what to do, those angels show them what to do. And they say, this is glory. And they praise God. And so we, we need the angels to help us with this, to, to help us understand who is this baby that comes at Christmas and how are we to respond appropriately. Now, wouldn't it be nice if angels came down for all of us and just showed us how glorious Jesus was? You know, you'd come down for Aaron Rodgers, right? And just, this is how glorious he is. Like, you, you got it wrong, Aaron. Right? You missed it. And the angels would show him, this is how glorious he is. He is Savior. He's King. He is God. And we should praise him. And Aaron's like, you got it, you know, and he's... He's like kneeling in, in the end zone now after the touchdown, doing the Tim Tebow, right? But this angel revelation is, is not the typical way, right? It's not the typical way that God reveals, but he's still revealing the glory of the gospel, right? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He talks about the blindness that the world has to the glory and then how 
the glory is revealed. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. I think that's probably a slide down here. In their case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right? So he's saying the God of this world, talking about Satan, is blinding people to the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then he says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's letting those uh, Corinthians know that he's writing to, he's like, what happens when the gospel is proclaimed? God's Spirit shines a light in our hearts and we can see the glory of the gospel. And so heaven still has to come down in order for us to see the glory of the gospel. I wonder if heaven is coming down for you in this moment. Perhaps for the first time, you're starting to say, oh, that is who Jesus is. He is Savior. He is King. He is Lord. I want to receive Him. And so I would encourage you to do that. If you've never received Christ as Savior and King and God, to do that this morning by faith, to to receive Him as Savior is to admit that you're a sinner, that you need what He did on the cross to save you from your sin. To receive Him as King, meaning to submit to Him, to give up self-determination and allow Christ to be the determining force in your life and to receive Him as God and respond by worshiping Him. He's not just a self-help guru. He's not just some prophet. He's God, and He's worthy of worship because He is that glorious. For those of you that have already received Him by faith, I hope that you'll add this piece of evidence to your certainty. And I know some you know, skeptics are saying, oh my God, angel stories? I mean, come on, virgin birth. But I want you to see what Luke is doing here. Look, look what he says in Luke 2, 1 and 2. He says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Again, we read those verses, we're like, oh, so boring, I just want to go to the good stuff. Look what he's doing here. He is taking stories about angels and he's coupling them with historical facts. He's not just writing about Zeus and Hades and they're up there fighting or something. He's saying, no, this happened in history. And just because it's supernatural doesn't mean it didn't happen. And he is adding this as evidence. These angelic messengers who have said who Jesus is and how we ought to respond to him as part of his careful and orderly account. So add that to your evidence. And hopefully you've seen a glorious glimpse this morning in this text of Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ, the the divine Savior who is King. And that you would respond this morning by worshiping Him. We're reminded of what this king did for us every time we come to this table. That on the night 
on which he was betrayed the night before his death. He took bread, he broke it, he gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after he blessed the cup, he gave it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many. Why? For the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus knew that he was not a sinner, and because of that, that next day, he could die in our place and save us from sin. And that our response then would be to submit to him as our king and to worship him as our God. So as we were reminded of what he did for us, let's respond with worship. Let's pray.